Hi, and welcome to this podcast. My name's Charlotte Westwood, and in this episode, we're going to explore the basics of ruminant nutrition. This is one of a series of podcasts brought to you by the Facebook group, The Rumen Room, proudly supported by PGG Rights and Seeds. Well, ruminant nutrition, where do we start? We know that for many of you, this could be a rather boring topic. I know that many of us have had to suffer some really boring lectures and sessions about nutrition, either at uni or other learning institutions. Hey, now look, suffer no longer. We're going to take a different approach in this podcast to the story around ruminant nutrition. Are you ready? Settle back and listen in. We're going to take you on a journey of adventure as you, hypothetically, a blade of ryegrass are eaten by a dairy cow. So you, the grass blade, will be digested bit by bit along the journey through the gut of the cow from the mouth through to the other end. We're talking about dairy cows. Just a quick apology to all of you non-dairy types that may be listening in regarding our focus on digestion of grass within a dairy cow. We're just going to highlight here that the journey of a blade of grass from one end of the animal to the other is very, very similar um, for both a cow and also other ruminant species. So that's beef, cattle, uh, sheep, goats and deer. All of these animals uh, and species are categorised as what we call ruminants. Now this means simply that these animal species have four stomachs and it's quite a, it's kind of a simplification around their digestive anatomy, but essentially, yeah, four stomachs, and we'll talk a little bit more about this shortly. So that's today's number one take home, that ruminants are animals with four stomachs, and those include cattle, that might be beef and dairy, sheep, deer, and goats. There are, however, some subtle differences in the function of how those four stomachs work between those different species. But for the intents and purposes of today, as you, the blade of ryegrass, travels through the gut of a cow, the basic plumbing and functionality of the guts of all ruminant species is largely the same. We've got that part out of the way. So here we go on this digestion journey when you, the blade of grass, is eaten by a cow. Are you ready? Right, picture this. You're that blade of grass, you're growing happily in a lovely sunny paddock. Life is good. Oh, hang on, there's a moo and the sun is being shadowed out by a large black and white creature. This is where the digestion process is about to begin. Wow, ryegrass is very tasty for cattle. Mmm, cattle prefer to select and harvest grass by using their tongue to wrap around longer blades of ryegrass leaves and to tear those leaves from the ryegrass plant, hopefully leaving that plant to grow another day left in the paddock. It's interesting because sheep, on the other hand, tend to do more nipping of feed uh, rather than wrapping their tongues around that grass. And sheep will nip, grabbing that blade of ryegrass between their bottom incisors and the top of their mouth that's called the dental pad. Yeah, you heard that right. Did you know that ruminants don't have upper front incisors? Instead, they have a very hard part of the gum that's called the dental pad. And that's where the feed is trapped between the lower incisors at the bottom of the mouth and that hard dental pad and nip away. It's a very tough old thing, that dental pad. Any of you that haven't had much to do with the front bitey end of a ruminant, yeah, there's no upper incisors. As we go further back in the mouth, where the true grinding and chewing of grass occurs, ruminants just like us do have upper premolars and lower premolars and molars further back in the mouth, similar to us, but no upper front teeth. 
while we're on the teeth topic, did you know that ruminant teeth keep on growing? So unlike us, once we have our permanent teeth through as a young teenager, that's it for our teeth. If we wear them out, there's no second chance. Ruminants are amazing. Their ruminant uh, teeth, those um, grinding teeth at the back of the jaw, keep on growing, which is quite clever. So as they start to wear out, they just simply push out a bit more tooth material. Could be handy for a few of us humans. Anyway, we digress. Back to that ruminant um, ingestion of you, the ryegrass blade. Yep, this uh, ryegrass is now in the, the mouth of a dairy cow. It's been chewed and mushed between those teeth further back, the, the molars and premolars. And the purpose of chewing is to start the digestion process. That blade of grass needs to be chewed and pummeled into several tiny, tiny pieces that will increase the exposure of that ryegrass to the different enzymes um, being produced both by the cow from the digestive process, but also increasing exposure of bits of the ryegrass to the microbes in her stomach number one and number two that we're going to talk about shortly. So it's an important process. That said, cattle tend not to chew their feed quite as well as sheep who tend to chew more times per mouthful before they swallow. Cattle just tend to shovel it in, chew it once or twice and, and swallow it down. So just as the case when we chew food, a ruminant's going to add saliva to the feed during the chewing process. Saliva's doing a couple of things. Firstly, Saliva is adding liquid, obviously, to help the grass be swallowed readily into the back of the mouth and down the esophagus, which is the food pipe that connects the back of the mouth into stomach number one. And without the saliva, it's very hard for a, a cow or any of the ruminant species to eat dry feed. Secondly, saliva contains a heap of chemical buffers. Now, these are buffers including sodium bicarb, so that's like your um, baking soda in, in the kitchen cupboard, and also phosphate buffers. Now, the pH of the saliva is, because of the presence of these buffers, very high, upwards of eight or more on the pH scale, where a low number is very acidic and a high number is um, very alkalinic. These buffers are really important when they are swallowed along with the food as a way to prevent the build-up of too much acid accumulating in the rumen. And we're going to talk more about the production of acid during a normal fermentation in the rumen. Provided there's a lot of buffers going in, so a lot of saliva being produced when a cow or a sheep consumes the feed, we're going to reduce the risk of a condition called rumen acidosis. And we will have an episode with one of these podcasts more about rumen acidosis. The other third handy thing with regard to saliva production by a ruminant is that when dietary proteins are low, so let's say a low quality feed, it might be standing summer pasture with not a lot of legume in it, doesn't contain a lot of protein, ruminants get very clever in these situations and add urea that comes from blood urea back into the saliva and that urea is added to the feed through the saliva and recycles, if you like, some of the dietary protein as urea, a source of nitrogen, that would otherwise be wasted out the back end as urinary urea. And this explains why ruminants can do a whole lot better than we'd expect normally when eating low-protein feeds due to that nitrogen being recycled. So more about that in another episode when we talk about how ruminants adapt to different types of feeds. But yeah, the three things that saliva does, firstly, is a lubricant to allow the animal to swallow feed. Second, to add buffers to try and reduce the impacts of too much acid accumulating in the rumen. And thirdly, when protein levels are low in the feed, recycling. So that's number one with uh, the saliva. 
But anyway, back to the feed journey through the cow. Down this bolus of feed of which you, the ryegrass leaf, is part of that uh, goes down the esophagus and arrives with a splash into stomach number one, the reticulum. So the reticulum is one of the four stomachs inside a ruminant. Uh, as an aside, just to maybe gross you out while we're talking about the reticulum, for those of you who like eating tripe, and must say not me, thanks very much after my mum made me eat it, cooking it up for me when I was a little kid, ooh. But anyway, if you like your, your tripe and onions, that's actually the reticulum or stomach number one part, uh, typically of cattle if, you, if you're eating the tripe, uh, that some people still like to eat, cooked with onions, mm, whatever, we digress. So the honeycomb texture of the reticulum, those of you that do like tripe, is actually quite clever. It's been designed by Mother Nature to capture anything eaten by the ruminant that isn't food. So let's say you've got a dairy cow, she's just scoffing a whole lot of feed in, she'll eat the odd stone, oh dear, the odd fencing staple that's been dropped, and other heavy things that sink uh, into the fluid inside the rumen when that animal's inadvertently eaten that heavy stuff. So the job of that honeycomb is for the reticulum to track those bits and pieces and stop them from flowing further down the gut where they may cause more damage. So that's stomach number one. Four stomachs, right? Stomach number two. Stomach number two is what we do call the rumen, and the rumen is probably the most well-known part of the four stomachs. But interestingly, the stomach number one, the reticulum, and the rumen number two are actually one big giant fermentation chamber it's not that number one and number two are closed off from one another. They actually are sort of a co-joined chamber. And within that chamber, the food slops backwards and forwards between stomach number one and number two. So when we speak of those two stomach parts, it's actually one big space. And we call it the reticulorumen. But you're going to forgive me from now on, hey, if I'm going to call it the rumen. And I'm actually going to be talking specifically about the reticulum and the rumen. But it's easier than saying reticulorumen over and over again. So in a high-performance dairy cow, let's say a cow that's approaching peak lactation, she's eating about as much feed as she will uh, for the for 365 days of the year, that rumen, the reticular rumen, can contain more than 150 litres or even more than 200 litres of digesting feed and fluids inside the rumen. If you're on farm and you may be standing in a dairy and you're looking at one of those big 200-litre drums that you have on farm full of good stuff like teat spray and everything else, that's the volume of slopping stuff inside a cow. And it's a big volume, hey? Right, back to the story of chewed up ryegrass meets the rumen. Inside the rumen, there are a huge number of rumen microbes, bacteria, protozoa, fungi and others. Well, what happens when that ryegrass drops into the rumen is that those vast array of microbes attach themselves to the, to the ryegrass, or maybe they just float around next to it in the rumen, uh, or in the raft of stuff that floats on the surface of the liquid layer inside the rumen. And this is when the digestion process begins. That is, the microbes meet the ryegrass leaf. The microbes' job is to break down feed and the process of them breaking down feed is little microbes like any living creature it's all about them and what happens with the breakdown of feed is that that is providing the microbes with an energy source to deliver on their needs they need to live and to feed and to reproduce so the energy from the feed selfishly is being taken by those rumen bugs and taken by them to provide energy during the digestion process, those microbes are releasing 
breakdown products of the feed, uh, which are numerous. And most importantly of all of those are metabolites of the energy generating process. The metabolites are called volatile fatty acids or VFAs. Now, these VFAs are the centerpiece of ruminant nutrition because VFAs are used by ruminants as an energy source and for contributing to things such as laying down fat, in the case of a fattening uh, cattle beast, uh, or perhaps fat that's going into milk fat for a lactating ewe or a dairy cow. Now, hold that thought about VFAs because that's the crux of ruminant nutrition, and we're going to come back to that in more detail very shortly. But as we promised at the beginning of this podcast, we said we were going to take you, the ryegrass leaf, for a journey. And we've only taken you as far as stomach number one and number two so far. So back to where you, the ryegrass plant, are starting to get attacked, if you'd like, by microbes and broken down. Now, part of the requirement for microbes to meet the ryegrass, so to speak, is that we need some mixing to go on of the contents of the reticulum and the rumen to maximise the chance that the microbes get to meet you, uh, the ryegrass leaf. Now, the clever thing that Mother Nature's designed over the years is that the walls of the rumen and reticulum are actually muscular. And what happens is that these parts of the gut, stomach number one and number two, contract and move around with a regular mixing cycle that sloshes the feed up and down, back to front, around one to two times every minute. And that mixing is going to maximise exposure of eat and feed to contact with the microbes, keeping the fermentation process happening. If you look at a black shiny coated cow, so hopefully those of you got a nice black shiny beef cow or dairy cow to have a look at, sneak around here and on the left side of the cow behind the last of, um, long rib, you're going to see this mixing process happening, especially shiny coat on a sunny day. And now you're looking for it. We reckon it's quite a fascinating process to watch and you can actually count how many times you see the big mixing uh, of the back of the room and it sticks out behind that last long rib. So go and have a look on a sunny day. Hopefully you've got some shiny cows to look at. Now part of the mixing process is that when the fermentation's happening in the rumen, uh, we're getting continuous mixing, but in many cases during the swallowing process, the ruminants haven't adequately chewed the feed well enough. So to give it a second chance to be rechewed, the ruminant does what we call cud chewing. And I know many of you are happy animal people and you've probably seen that lovely contented look on the face of ruminants when they're regurgitating a bolus of uh, not fully digested feed from the rumen back up into the mouth for a second go at chewing. So that's what cud chewing's doing. Uh, it's adding additional saliva and it's additional chances for feed, such as you, the ryegrass leaf, to get broken down further, exposing more parts of that leaf to the microbes back in the rumen. Now, in terms of cutting, it happens for between 8 to 12 hours a day in a healthy uh, ruminant who's got enough fibre in her diet to support good cud chewing. And essentially, um, it looks a lot like they're chewing chewing gum, doesn't it? And what that process is doing is, as we say, giving a second chance for the feed to be broken down and re-swallowed. So cutting's particularly uh, important and a clever way for ruminants that are eating the really poor quality feeds to improve the efficiency of conversion of a low quality feed into byproducts that the cow can use as sources of both energy 
in the case of volatile fatty acids that we're going to talk more about shortly, but also for promoting improved production of microbial protein, and more about that shortly too. I guess while we're on the topic of regurgitating stuff up, the esophagus again out of the rumen, let's have a talk about burps. Now, I'm sure many of you are very proud uh, ability to do burps after consuming quantities of beer or whatever, but like us, cattle, sheep, deer and goats also do this process. And in fact, it's got a name, it's called eructation. That's about burping um, as part of a digestion process. With regard to our ruminants, What's happening is that during the microbes breaking down the feed, one of the byproducts of fermentation includes gas. Now, this gas is typically made up mostly of carbon dioxide and methane. Yes, methane. We're all going to know a whole lot more about methane with the ongoing changes around greenhouse gas emissions, etc. And we'll do a podcast about that as part of the series a little later in the year. But essentially... The gas, the methane and carbon dioxide, these start off on the top layer of the rumen. We have a liquid layer and then quite often a floating rumen raft of fibre inside the rumen. And above that, we get a gas cap on top of the feed slopping around inside the rumen. Now, worst case, if an animal can't get rid of those gases, she gets a condition called bloat. And once again, that'll be another topic another day. So keep an eye out for that. Now, with regard to getting rid of the gases, it's relatively simple. She has stretch sensors in the wall of particularly the top of the reticulum, and when gases are accumulating, she'll respond by burping those gases up, just like we do. And that's where methane actually comes from. So you'll see cartoons and, and uh, memes, etc., about uh, you know, ruminants releasing methane with, with exploding um, farts out the back end. Actually, the methane's coming from a burp and not a fart. Once again, we're digressing. Back into the rumen and you, the ryegrass blade, that's starting to get chomped up. Now, let's have a look at what happens once the ryegrass has been floating around amongst that rumen fluid soup and how it gets from the rumen down to the rest of the gut. Now, just the usual chewing and then re-chewing during cud chewing drops the pieces of forages down to between 10 to 20 millimetres in length. And most of the pieces that then leave the reticulum and the rumen it can be quite a bit shorter than that in cattle, even, you know, two to three millimetres. And where they leave the reticulum and the rumen is through the reticulo-omasal orifice. Now, that's shortened up to roo, R-O-O. It's a useless bit of information. Now, that's a, a hole, and it's a little bit muscular that changes in size, that allows feed to leave the reticulum and the rumen to go down to stomach number three, the omasum. Mother Nature designed this hole to be intentionally small to ensure that feed doesn't squirt through the gut too quickly. Otherwise, there's not enough time for those microbes to get stuck into the feed and start to digest it or everything and end up undigested out in the dung at the back end. That said, sometimes um, those of you that spend a bit of time gazing at dung patches out in the paddock, sometimes you will see larger pieces of fibre, sometimes bits of cereal grains, etc., passing through that tiny hole. Now, in the case of fibre, sometimes it's because just it's a, it's a law of physics. Sometimes uh, the odd bit of fibre will go through sideways and end up long, long end on and manage to pass through that, the, the wee hole between stomach number two and number three. And sometimes we see undigested bits that's suggesting there's something wrong with the diet. 
for example, rumen acidosis or not enough uh, breakdown products of protein such as ammonia and amino acids in the diet. Sometimes that will make the dung look more fibrous, but that's more about total fibre and it's unusual to see very big pieces of fibre in the dung of ruminants, mainly because we have to get through that tiny hole between stomach number uh, two and number three. Again, maldigestive issues, we can cover that in another episode, another day. So stomach number three, the omasum. So this is stomach number three as mentioned, and the omasum does a couple of really important jobs. Firstly, the omasum starts the job of removing water from the gut contents, because in the rumen, it's a very liquid place to be. And obviously there's water being absorbed between the rumen and the back end of an animal. Otherwise, we'd have a very sloppy scour coming out the back end. So the omasum is quite clever. And it has, if you've ever done a, a dog tucker you or done a home kill and had a look at the omasum, it's a round ball-like organ that if you cut into it, it's actually got a lot of leaves in it that increase the surface area over which water can be absorbed because of the leaves in it. But yeah, that's absorbing water from the gut contents and also a lot of the volatile fatty acids that we're going to be talking about next as byproducts from the rumen fermentation are absorbed from the omasum as well. So quite a clever little uh, part of the, the tract and that's stomach number three. Next stop for what is now a rapidly disintegrating tiny pieces of ryegrass leaf are arriving at stomach number four. And this is called in ruminants the abomasum. So we've got omasum number three, abomasum number four. Now this is quite an interesting stomach really because it's anatomically and functionally really similar to our own stomach. So our own stomach, the end of the esophagus that we have, we don't have the three stomachs before it. Our esophagus just goes straight to our stomach. It's very acidic inside the uh, abomasum with a pH as low as 2 to 2.5. So that's getting closer to battery acid actually. And the role of this acid is to acidify the digester, uh, dropping the pH of the feed from the rumen pH that might have been up around 6.2 to 6.8 uh, down into the threes or even lower, depending on how much acid's been produced by the abomasum. As well, the abomasum has an important job to drop in some protein digesting enzymes to start the uh, digestion with the proteases, the enzymes of the feed that's come through, whether that be microbial protein, again, that we're coming back to shortly, or uh, feed protein that's snuck through the rumen without being digested. But in the small intestine, the digestive process is very similar to ours, with a lot of the nutrients that have been released from the digestion of the grass uh, as amino acids, as fatty acids, and any starch in the case of uh, grain or maize silage fed ruminants will be taken up across the wall of the small intestine, and this is a very physiologically similar process to that of human digestion, and also digestion that occurs in other species, uh, such as uh, pigs, uh, cats and dogs. The small intestine is functionally very similar. We've got all sorts of other helpful things along the, uh, the gut, including the pancreas, that does a lot of clever things in terms of uh, from regulating blood glucose levels and a whole lot of other things, but also in its, uh, its function to secrete digestive enzymes. The pancreas sends enzymes that help the ruminant digest microbial protein, uh, starch, and dietary fats. So that works in the same way that our pancreas 
work. So many parts of the tract uh, south, if you'd like, or further on past the, the stomach number three are actually really similar. And those of you that have got perhaps a human health background or remember your studies from school about it, the rest of the tract is quite similar, except for the large intestine, which is our next stop-off point. So as the feed leaves the small intestine, the stuff that hasn't been digested across into the bloodstream, as we go further down the tract, we get more water removed from the digester, which is the feed inside the gut tract, by part of the gut called the cecum. Now, the cecum in humans is actually your appendix. A lot of a lot of you, including me, I don't have an appendix anymore, but trust me, it's a little tiny part of our gut in comparison to the ruminant, which is much, much, much bigger. And that's because ourselves, we're not ruminants uh, and we're not horses. Uh, as hindgut fermenters, we don't need our cecum or appendix anymore. But the ruminant cecum is still very much an important part of the digestive process. The cecum is absorbing water. This is a bit of a similar theme here, isn't it? So the omasum, stomach number three, absorbs some water. The cecum is absorbing water. And the cecum also has another job. The cecum allows for some last-minute digestion of anything that's got this far through the tract. And it's a last-chance gasp, I suppose, to extract any last little bits that it possibly can before the feed heads further south down towards um, the back end of the ruminant. And in fact, of the volatile fatty acids that we're going to come on to shortly, about 10 to 15% of volatile fatty acids yielded from feed actually come from the cecum. The rest of them come from the rumen, but the balance um, are produced in the cecum. In the same general vicinity as the cecum, uh, or the ruminant's appendix if you'd like, we've got the large intestine. Now the large intestine's uh, essential role is to really try and extract as much liquid or, or water from the gut contents as it's heading towards the rectum, the last part of the tract. Now, ruminants need quite a large amount or, or length of large intestine, and Mother Nature's done a pretty cool job of this by that large length of intestine being packaged very elegantly into what's called the spiral colon. And this is where uh, we've got a space saver kind of approach, a bit like space saver in the back of a car, in that the anatomy spiral, as the name suggests, spirals the intestine into a very neat tiny space by spiraling around and around and around and around. And again, many of you will be familiar with seeing that spiral colon and just what it looks like and how cool it is. Finally, as the feed passes through the spiral colon, it's a little bit like a sort of a, um, a really cool water feature, I guess. Don't think I'd want to be in there, but you know, similar spiraling around and around and around. Finally, the feed arrives, what's left of it, at the rectum, where essentially it awaits um, time for periodic voiding uh, of the undigested final parts of the nutrients back out onto the pasture where it first started from. So right, you've actually survived the dizzying journey from the mouth to the tail of a cow. For you, the ryegrass, uh, you may be, let's say, very high quality ryegrass leaf and you're 85% digestible. What means is that uh, what that means is that 85% of the goodies in you, the leaf of ryegrass, have been extracted by the stage, by the time the feed reaches the spiral colon, and about 15% of what you started with is now going to be voided out as dung 
by that cow that ate you. So digestibility gives you the percentage of useful nutrients that can be extracted during the digestive process. We're going to have another part uh, of these the series around ruminant nutrition talking about digestibility and megajoules of metabolizable energy. So do make sure you tune in for that process. In the next episode uh, of digestion or the basics of ruminant nutrition, we're going to delve into more detail about what happens at the level of the reticulum and the rumen. We've talked in this episode about how the microbes attach to feed particles or swim around very close to the feed particles and are continuously um, being in touch with the feed particles with the mixing, the muscular contractions of the reticular rumen. And that digestion process is going to be covered in more detail in the next episode of The Basics of Ruminant Nutrition. What we're going to cover off on is the uh, more information about the volatile fatty acids that are produced during the fermentation and how ruminants have evolved over a long, long time to use those VFAs as an energy source. And most importantly, we're also going to talk about how the rumen microbes continuously grow and reproduce and turn over more microbes contributing to microbial protein that's then used for growth by lambs and young cattle or but for milk protein uh, manufacture for lactating ewes or cows or other ruminant species. But anyway, thanks for your adventure and the journey from one end of a cow to another. I hope that you can join us again for the next episode to go into the part two of the basics of ruminant nutrition. Have a great day.